Superhero movies, it seems like they're everywhere, and about the time I think that they've covered them all, you've got more. And these little, these, these, I mean, Ant-Man, is that really a thing? But it is, I guess, right? And anyway, there seems to be, whether it's superhero movies or, or just other things, uh, there seems to be this, this sense of or this draw toward or this liking of things that are supernatural in nature these days. Uh, I mean, every time we turn around, there's a new uh, addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, there are, uh, there's this draw toward, toward things that are, that are kind of out of this world or otherworldly, supernatural. And if we, can, if we can tie it into a good story and a hero and a villain, then that's great. I mean, whether it's Iron Man or Captain America or Doctor Strange or Thor or the Incredible or, or whoever else, all those things, these characters defy the natural order of things, right? They fight battles, they wage wars, and they seem to have these wars and things. Most people are clueless about it, right? The, the, the common person is clueless about what's going on up in the heavens somewhere where they're, uh, where they're dueling it out. And, and yet it has a, it makes a huge difference and they save the world. And it's this amazing thing and most of us didn't even know it was happening. It shouldn't probably be a surprise for those of us uh, who, uh, who are here at church today. It's the age-old truth that has governed life since the beginning. John Wesley said it this way, Things eternal are much more considerable than things temporal, and things not seen are as certain as things that are seen. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.18 said, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Uh, things of, of God and Satan, angels and demons, heaven and hell, uh, they're talked about in Scripture from cover to cover, the supernatural things, these spiritual things. But even if people are curious about this stuff these days, in the end it gets chalked up to, oh, that's just kind of myth and legend and and, and in the movies, it's kind of like the, the two six-year-olds who were walking home from Sunday school and they were kind of arguing about the lesson that they had heard that day. And the one boy said, oh, now come on, there isn't any devil. And the other one said, well, what do you mean there isn't any devil? Our teacher told us all about it and said it's in the Bible and showed us a bunch of verses about it. So what do you mean there isn't any devil? And the first boy said, yeah, but come on, that's not really true. It's kind of like Santa. You think he's real for a while, but the devil just turns out to be your dad. It's just... <laughs> Maybe some of you relate to that more than, than others. My kids from time to time probably would testify to that. I'd like to challenge some of that thinking, and, and we're going to talk about supernatural things today, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Today, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're continuing this series on prayer, and we've seen what prayer is not. We've, uh, we've emphasized both spontaneous and scheduled times of prayer, so, so specific times when we pray, and then also praying spontaneously uh, throughout the day. Last week, we looked at some, some things that kind of lock or hinder our prayers and some keys, ways that we open up our prayer life. We've seen that prayer is a whole lot more about connecting with God than just about getting what I want, Right? And today I'd like to look at the whole, the, the, the role that, uh, that prayer, uh, plays in supernatural things. In the church in the past, it's, uh, it's been referred to as spiritual warfare. And in the movies, it's that realm of the supernatural and, and all those kinds of, whether it's superhero movies or, or there's the whole, whole side of things, uh, focused on, uh, uh, demons and, and evil and all those kinds of things. And ever, it just seems like we're, we're obsessed with that these days. And, and I want to, 
As we dive into that, I want to tell you a story. Uh, it comes straight from the Bible, from the Old Testament. Uh, back in the days of prophets and kings, there was a man, a man of God named Elisha. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. Elisha was a, was a prophet and he had quite a reputation. Uh, he was actually kind of a recluse. So most of the time we see Elisha, he's kind of holed up somewhere. He'll come out, say a few things, do a few things, then he'll kind of go back again. And, uh, but, but, uh, he was closely connected with God and he would bring God's messages to his people, uh, especially to the people of Israel. And he was also known for performing miracles, these supernatural things that, that, that defied nature. And, uh, and he healed people of uh, sickness and disease. Uh, he, he made, uh, the, the one time the, the, the lady had uh, um, oil in a jar and it was almost gone. And he said, just keep on filling f- from that jar to another jar. And it just kept on, he expanded that, that, that oil and, and, and it just continued and continued and continued. Uh, there was once, uh, there were workers working and, and they were using an axe and the axe head came off of the, uh, the handle and it went in the river. And, uh, they, they were distraught and, and said, well, what are we gonna do that? I borrowed that axe, now I'm gonna have to pay for it. I don't, and, and Elisha literally made the axe head, that heavy axe head, float on the river and they were able to, to retrieve it. Uh, even so much, uh, Elisha actually raised a boy from the dead. Of course, Elisha wasn't doing all these things on his own. He was just listening to God. He was obeying God's direction. And God used him to do amazing supernatural things. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, we find Elisha, and he's advising the king of Israel. And he's help, helping out against this pesky army, the Arameans, who, who are, are trying to, 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 to wage war and, and have these battles against the Israelites. And, and so the, uh, the king of Aram would, uh, would make plans, and then he'd hide for an attack and, and be all ready. But Elisha would, uh, would be connected with God, and God would warn Elisha and tell him what the enemy was about to do. And then Elisha would contact the king, and the king of Israel would, would make other plans, and, uh, and, and they were thwarting the plans of the Arameans. It happened several times, enough times that the Aramean king thought that there must be a traitor in his ranks, but with a, a little investigation, they, they, they figured out that, the, uh, that, uh, that, that Elisha was the one uh, tipping off the Israelite army and, uh, and thwarting their, their plans. So this king, the Aramean king, Put the, put out, uh, put out the word that they needed to take out Elisha. We'll get rid of this guy, then we'll be moving on to things. And so one night they had great intelligence that, that Elisha was in the city of Dothan. And sure enough, he was. And, and so a contingent of the Aramean army, not just a small group, but a, a large group. It says, uh, in, in 2 Kings 6, uh, it, it says horses and chariots and a, and a strong force of soldiers had Elisha trapped. So I guess picture SEAL Team 6 descending on Osama bin Laden's stronghold in the middle of the night, only they were more than just that SEAL Team. Uh, and these folks that were surrounding Elisha probably didn't have night vision goggles and machine guns and GPS and all the rest. But anyway, it's a picture kind of that scene, okay? So uh, uh, it, this was a big deal. Elisha was trapped. There wasn't a way out. Elisha was not getting out of this one. Well, the invading army is surrounding Elisha. Dothan, uh, he's, he's in this city of Dothan, staying in this house, and they're, they're on the hills all around this city. And uh, in the morning, as the sun rose, Elisha's servant got up and headed outside. 
Now, that's what you did back then. Um, when you got up, you headed outside, right? Because there wasn't indoor plumbing, and that's just what you did. And I can just picture him heading out to the outhouse about halfway there. He kind of realized that he wasn't alone, right? And he kind of looked up, and there's all these chariots and horses and soldiers, a strong force surrounding them. Now, this servant knew that Elisha was kind of on the outs with the Arameans, and he figured out pretty quick that uh, that the things weren't going well here. He saw this vast army around him. He saw they were in a desperate situation, so I can just see him slowly turning around heading back inside and beginning to, to, uh, to, to raise the alarm for Elisha. Hey, Elisha, you need to get out of here. He, he, was, he was scared. Uh, scripture said, this is how he's, it's actually uh, portrayed in, in the passage. He says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? I'm sure that's part of what he said. He was distraught and he was afraid and he figured this was the end for them both. Here's where it gets good, and maybe I'm using a little pastoral license, maybe not, but I picture Elisha coming to the door. The servant is out in the in the yard, uh, crazy, frantic. You've got the uh, enemy all around, and you've got Elisha, and he kind of uh, comes out in the doorway. Maybe he's got his cup of coffee, and you just get this sense that he's been up for a while. It's not a surprise that these these uh, this army is all around him, right? And, and so I don't know whether they uh, whether he's drinking coffee or tea or or whatever he, whether he's drinking anything. But that's how I picture it in my head. Just bear with me. So he comes to the doorway, maybe, and he kind of leans against the door, and he's uh, he's there with his uh, with his uh, cup of coffee. Maybe after a long slow drink, as this guy is is going crazy, he he says this. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha, calm, cool, collected, standing there, uh, surrounded by the enemy. And he tells his, his, uh, his, his servant, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It's, it's right there in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you want to read it for yourself, I'm not just making it up. And I can see the servant, and I, I get the impression that, that he's significantly younger than the prophet. Uh, he, uh, he, he looks at Elisha. He looks back at himself. One, two. That's how many there are with us. He looks up at the hills again, and he sees that there are... Uh, he can't even count how many are surrounding him. And, and he, he says, I don't quite get it. Maybe he thought his boss had finally lost it. I, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe he, uh, he wasn't quite sure what was going on. Elisha certainly saw the doubt and the fear in his servant's eyes. And I don't know. I picture that, uh, that Elisha's kind of standing there with a twinkle in his eye and a smirk on his lips as he's saying in his mind, he's going, watch this, buddy. And so then he prays, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And verse 17 says this, Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? It's an amazing scene. Uh, Heaven's army is surrounding the Aramean army, which is surrounding the man of God. And and you've got all this going on, and and, and the the, the Aramean army can't see it, and uh, Elisha could see it, and now the servant can see it. And all of a sudden, he realizes that those who are with him are more than those who are with them. 
God gave that servant a glimpse of something that not too many people get to see. But we need to always be aware that although he couldn't see it initially, there were more on his side than there were on the enemy's side. That, 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 that it was real and it was true and it was there. It was just the fact that he wasn't seeing it, that he didn't notice, that he couldn't tell at the moment. There were things happening in the supernatural realm that were definitely going to impact what was happening in the physical world. So sure enough, the Aramean army starts charging and God struck them with blindness. And then Elisha went up to the leaders and um, basically tricked them and told them they were lost. 2 Kings 6, 19 says, Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. Uh, Samaria is where the Israelite army was and where the Israelite king was. And when he got their whole army there, uh, all of a sudden they weren't blind anymore. And all of a sudden they were the ones surrounded. And it's just an amazing story of God's deliverance that, that although uh, it wasn't evident on the surface in the physical realm, God was up to something in the supernatural realm that was going to change everything. I think we need to pray for God to open our eyes to see that there is a supernatural world that we should be conscious of because it very much impacts our physical world. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Ephesians 6 when he says we're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against supernatural forces, what Paul calls spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. I'm not making this up. I'm not crazy. You don't need to take me uh, down for, a, for an evaluation somewhere. It's right here in the Bible. All I'm doing is reading it. The number one way that we can confront the, confront the enemy and win these battles is to pray. Paul mentions it last in this, in this list. He talks about all the, this armor and then he says, and pray. And, and I believe and many scholars believe that, uh, that, that Paul mentions prayer last in order to emphasize it most. Kind of like saving the best for last, so to speak. Uh, remember, prayer is about connecting with God. So like Elisha, if I'm close to God, then I'm seeing things as God sees it and, and no enemy can prevail against me. So I think we need to talk about that enemy for a minute. He's mentioned twice in the in this passage in Ephesians. He's mentioned, he's referred to as the devil, and he's referred to as the evil one. He has schemes. He has flaming arrows that are directed at us. One thing we need to realize is that the devil is indeed real, and he's on the attack against 
God and against God's children. Now, we can get carried away with that, though. So I, I, I want to I put a word of caution in here as well. C.S. Lewis wrote in his preface to the, the masterful book that he wrote, the screw tape letters, uh, he wrote in his preface these words, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So we could, we could say, oh, there's no devil, or we could be so obsessed with the devil and everything uh, that, that uh, and, and Lewis says that both of those things are, are errors that we can, we can commit. We'd do well to fall in the middle, to be, have a healthy knowledge of what's really going on in the supernatural world, but not to be obsessed with it, seeing a demon behind every tree. So the Bible talks about Satan or the devil uh, many times. The devil is real. He's not just a feeling. He's not just an evil essence inside of us. He's not just the dark side of the universe. He's real, and if you are following Jesus, then he is against you. He's described as our opponent, as an accuser, as an attacker. He's depicted as a serpent in the first book of the Bible and as a dragon in the last. Uh, he deceives, he steals, he lies, he destroys. Peter even describes him in, in, uh, in his book at, toward the end of the Bible. He describes him as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But before you let that scare you, remember that those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Amen. That's important because too many times we give the devil too much credit, we give the devil too much control, and certainly we need to be mindful of him, we need to be aware, but God is on our side and he has already defeated death and the devil, and we can take hope and believe in that and live on that truth. We don't have to cower in the corner hoping that the devil doesn't get us. We are on the side of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are on offense, not defense. I don't know if you noticed uh, that list of, uh, of armor in Ephesians 6, but there is no piece of armor that covers your back in that list. You've got a, a, a breastplate and you've got a shield and you've got a helmet and, a, 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 and all the rest. It's not by accident. It's not, whoops, oh, we better get something for the back. Uh, Paul forgot that. No, th- that's on purpose. It's not an oversight There is no plan for retreat. We're not showing our backside to the enemy as we're running away. We are on offense. We are advancing against the devil and his schemes. We've got to know that. Now, certainly there are, there are things that we need to be aware of and ways that the devil comes at us. And so we need to, to know those things. And so I want to cover just a few of those things this morning. How, how the devil works and how we can respond. The first is that the devil deceives. Jesus described the devil as a liar, as the father of lies in John 8, 44. What does he lie about? Well, I guess he lies about everything. Three big things that I, I want to cover real quick today. The devil lies about who God is. He might say, well, I mean, you pictured uh, the devil, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Oh, did God really say that? Well, God really didn't. He, he lies about uh, that the, the God is not good. Maybe maybe he'll whisper in your ear, well, God doesn't care about that. God doesn't care. God let this happen to you. Uh, you can't trust God. God can't help you in this. The devil lies about who God is. The devil lies about who I am as well or who we are as people. If, if, if for an unbeliever, the devil might, uh, might, might whisper to an unbeliever, uh, you're okay. You don't need Jesus. You're, you're, you're fine. You don't need that. To a, to someone who's following Christ, uh, the, the devil might bring doubts 
accusations. You're not as good as you think you are. You don't deserve this. You're, you're, you, you can't be forgiven of that. The devil lies about who God is. The devil lies about who I am. And the devil lies about what is good and what is evil, what is, what is right and what is wrong. He twists it all up, so up is down and down is up. And we see that in our society all over the place, that, that, that we start lifting up things that, that God would say are immoral and, and awful, and yet now we're lifting them up and saying that they're good and right, and everything seems to be flipped upside down. And that's what the devil does. He, he lies about what is good and what is bad, and he brings confusion. He lies about what is good and what is bad, and he brings temptation, right? And, and he says, oh, come on. Come on, you can do that. Nobody will work. Your mom will never find out, Right? Temptation, it's not that bad, come on. So the devil deceives. He's a deceiver, the father of lies. The devil distracts. And uh, Author Anne Lamott once wrote, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And that happens a lot of the time. There's so much to distract us from God and his work, and we have to be vigilant to fight against that busyness. There's probably a whole sermon or a series in uh, right there, but but let me just say that intentionally spending the time in scheduled and spontaneous prayer uh, can refocus your attention on God and get your attention off those distractions. You see, the devil doesn't always just bring these crazy, awful sins. He doesn't tempt us to uh, to to go do these awful, awful things. But he might say, "Oh, spend your time over here instead of." Over here. He could be using something that is good in order to distract you from what is best. Don't get distracted. The devil deceives. The devil distracts. The devil discourages. You need to know that the devil is trying to steal your joy. And a lot of times we let him, right? One big way that he does that is in our thought life. And we start thinking things like, oh, and and it goes back to some of the lies that he might tell. But in that, he's he's discouraging us. And he reminds us of our past sins and failures. He'll he'll judge us. He'll condemn us. But we don't have to give in to that. Sometimes we think, oh, this is my thought life. I can't can't, uh, control what I think. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we can. He says, it says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. The best way to change your thoughts is to replace unhealthy, untrue thoughts with healthy, true ones. Feeling depressed and discouraged in your spiritual life, spend time with the truth of God's word. Recognize who God is and and what he is doing and what he is up to in your life. It's kind of like if you have a song stuck in your head, I'm not going to sing one that people often get stuck in their head because then you'll get it stuck in your head and then you'll never forgive me. And I don't want that. So, so, but sometimes you get a a song stuck in your head, uh, the, the, it's not very effective to, uh, if you want to get that out of your head, to say, boy, I really want to get this song out of my head. And you think about how you can get that song out of your head. The, the best way to get that song out of your head is to get another song in your head, right? And then it kind of pushes out the other one, and maybe it's not quite as annoying. And so uh, it's, it's kind of the same idea. If the devil is trying to steal your joy, <laughs> remind him that the joy of the Lord is your strength. That you're taking joy in, in, in God and, and you're reminding yourself of those true things so that he won't discourage you. The devil deceives, the devil distracts, the devil discourages, and the devil divides. One thing that he does very well is bring division. Jesus is all about unity. Jesus prayed that we would be united, we would be one, that we would remain deeply connected to him and deeply connected to each other. But the devil brings division. He brings division between me and God. 
right? He, he wants that relationship severed, and so he wants to, to, to bring that division. Many times he brings division between spouses, between husband and wife, right? And, and so there, there might be, and, and later you might think, well, I don't even know why we were arguing about that, right? I was just stupid. But, but in, the, in the moment, it brings division. It becomes this big thing, right? Uh, many times uh, the, the devil brings division between parents and children. He might bring division between friends. The devil divides churches. Be aware, the devil is always trying to bring division. The devil deceives, he distracts, he discourages, and he divides. So how do we respond? Well, the whole series is called Pray, so I guess we better do that, right? That's the first one. we got to pray. Again, I, I said it before, but Paul lists prayer last, I believe, because he wants to emphasize it most. And there are several ways that he encourages us to pray just in those few verses at the end of that passage we looked at in Ephesians 6. First of all, pray specifically. Paul mentions very specific details for those Ephesians to pray for, and we need to do that too. Many times we're in the habit of, uh, of praying generally. And maybe it's easier, maybe it's just kind of a lazy way to do it and we're not thinking of anything specific. I think a lot of times we don't want to be put on the, on the hook, so to speak, or we don't want to put God on the hook, so to speak. So if we pray generally, then, then, uh, then we can kind of say, okay, well, God must have worked. I mean, we pray prayers like, bless them, God, which is good. Be with her in a special way. You heard that one? You've heard, I, I prayed that one. That's okay. I'm preaching against me too here, right? What if we prayed specifically, like for, for healing, or for broken relationships to be healed, or for specific people to come to salvation? What if, what if we majored on specific prayers instead of on general prayers? I believe that there's power in that. It's not a powerful testimony if someone says, you know, they prayed for God to be with me in a special way, and I think he really was. He probably was. It's good. What if, tell me which is more powerful, they prayed that I would come to faith in Christ and I had my back turned against him and I didn't want anything to do with that. But my grandmother and my mother and my, my husband and my church was praying. And they prayed for days and, and weeks and, and over a course of years. And, and, and I have come to faith in Christ. And he means everything to me. And it all goes back to the fact that they didn't give up on me, but they prayed specifically for my salvation. There's power in that, right? Pray specifically and watch God move. We have these, these uh, prayer cards uh, out on the, uh, on the table there for Easter and that's one big thing that we can do as we gear up to Easter. We're going to make plans and we're going to, we're going to have, uh, you know, there's invitations there on your seats and out in the foyer and all those kinds of things. We need to be doing all those things. But if you don't do anything else, pray specifically for that day. I hope you're praying every week as we gather, but, but specifically on Easter as we have this opportunity to, to invite the community, for you to invite someone specific, uh, a friend, a relative to come and experience the presence of God through, uh, through our Easter service. Pray specifically for those things. There's just a few, you don't have to be held to that specifically, but those are just a starter. And I'd encourage you to grab one of those cards and be praying specifically. Paul says pray specifically. He also says pray in the Spirit. 
Align yourself with God and his will, I guess is, is how I see this happening. That we're allowing the spirit to direct our prayers. It's not just that I'm going to pray for what I want, but I'm going to pray for what the spirit wants. I'm going to pray for what God wants. I'm going to allow him to direct my prayers. I'm staying connected with him and his spirit is directing my prayers. Paul even says in, in Romans that, that, that if we don't know what to pray, the spirit's going to, going to jump in and, and pray for us. Pray in the spirit. Pray constantly. He says pray on all occasions. It's like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, those spontaneous prayers. We have these prompts, these different things that happen in life. Don't just, uh, oh, something happened, but use that as a prompt to pray and stay connected with God. Keep that relationship close. And and then he also says to pray creatively. Uh, He says, use all kinds of prayers and requests, Uh, little prayers, long prayers, short prayers, silent prayers, loud prayers, asking for things, praising him, thanking him, confessing. It's just like any other relationship. You're going to do whatever it takes to stay connected with God in prayer. Your number one resource in the spiritual battles that you face is your relationship with God. So stay connected to him in prayer. How do we respond to the evil one and his schemes? Pray. We also need to prepare. Preparation is key to any battle. Knowing that you have an enemy and knowing where and how uh, he attacks is uh, is a, a key component in being able to fight against him. First Peter five eight says, "Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith." Ephesians six eighteen. Be alert. Always keep on praying. And again, he lists the armor. This is how we prepare. Right? We we need truth to combat the lies. We need righteousness to combat the temptation to sin. We need peace to combat anxiety and fear. We need faith to combat doubt. We need salvation to draw near in a relationship with God. We need to be prepared because there is a battle. We can't always see it. We need to be prepared. And as we're prepared, we also need to take action to resist. James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That passage again in 1 Peter 5, uh, the verse 9 says, resist him standing firm in the faith. The last piece of armor mentioned in Paul's list is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Scripture is our offensive weapon. It's how Jesus defended himself against Satan's temptations when, when Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days without eating and, and uh, Satan came and tempted him and every single time the devil came at him, Jesus confronted him with another word of truth from, from the Bible. As you remain connected to God in prayer and as you spend time daily in the truths of Scripture, you not only defend yourself against the devil and his schemes, It's not just a defensive mode. We're not just hanging on for dear life, hoping that Jesus comes back soon. This is an offensive stance. We are taking ground against the enemy. The word of God not only defends, but also attacks. We are on offense. This isn't isn't just the stuff of movies and comic books. Spiritual things are even more real than physical things. There are things happening in the supernatural realm that affect what happens in the physical realm. But if you are following Jesus, you are on the winning side. Don't be afraid. Those who are with you are more than those who are with them. So decide right now that you are going to resist. Stand firm. You're going to be prepared for what might come against you. And you're going to be praying 
specifically in the spirit constantly. You're gonna be praying creatively that God will take ground for his kingdom until he comes again.